The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed in the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Good afternoon and welcome to One Hour at a Time. Recovery begins with education and host Mary Woods is here to educate individuals and families and provide support through the recovery process. Now here's your host, Mary Woods. Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to One Hour at a Time. I am your host, Mary Woods, and our guest today is George O'Leary, who is, has a master's degree in counseling, and he provides mental health services to people with addiction and those living with HIV and AIDS. Um, he has established and operated two recovery houses in Baltimore, Maryland, and served for nine years on a mobile crisis intervention team. And George's passion, I believe, is working with kids, um, or it seems to be his passion. He has written a book called What's Wrong With My Kids? When Drugs or Alcohol Might Be a Problem and What to Do About It. Welcome, George. Well, thank you for having me. So tell us about um, what what is going on with kids today. Are they doing more drugs? Are they doing less drugs? What's the... What's happening in the world? Um, based on uh, NIDA, National Institute of Drug Abuse stats, um, drug use has been going up for about four years now among our adolescents. Uh, for instance, uh, annual illicit drug use uh, in 07 was 13%, is now 18%. As for 8th graders, 12th graders, it was 35%, is now 41.5%. So it's been going up lately. And so that's a concern. New drugs out there, uh, the synthetic marijuana and the bath salts, which most people aren't aware of, but that's creating some problems too. Um, the ever-changing face of drugs and substance abuse among our youth. Um, yeah, and we recently did a show here um, on one hour at a time about study drugs, which are being used in some high schools and on college campuses, things like Adderall, Vyvanse, and other stimulants um, to help with concentration so that people can per- perform better on standardized testing. You're right. Yeah, I've I've read that too, um, where kids are using them to um, be able to study all night and get the grades up. So, um, what what do parents need to know? What's um, what are some things that parents should should know about? Um, what I did with the book, um, let me answer it this way. Um, I came up with a list of 13 major behaviors that uh, kids on drugs manifest, and then I broke those down into sub-behaviors that are reflective of those behaviors. Um, 
And when drugs attacked my family, uh, even though I was a youth worker at the time working with uh, uh, troubled youth, I didn't even recognize the signs in my own kids. So um, I was hoping that through this book we can get the word out to parents so that they can become more cognizant of uh, what's going on with their kids and be able to be proactive and recognize the signs early on before they fester and progress because drugs aren't static. They do get worse and worse. You're, you're absolutely right. Um, one of the um, <clears throat> characteristics, I guess, that you think that um, parents should look for are mood swings that are either excessive or dramatic that are unusually dramatic. Can you say more about that? Yeah, the uh, extreme aggressiveness, argumentativeness. Uh, kids will argue uh, who are on drugs will argue with you uh, over insignificant things, argue to your face that you're wrong. Um, uh, their behavior is unpredictable, extreme sensitivity, and at times explosiveness. Um, I've been in homes where... Uh, Parents have been dealing with um, drug-addicted kids, and you've got holes in the wall, punched in the wall, and in the doors. Of, you know, there's that kind of explosiveness that goes on. Uh, another thing that parents should watch out for is extreme isolation. Right. Um, the kid will isolate himself from the family so that the parents are less likely to detect any changes uh, or due to drug use or, uh, you know, if I'm staying in my room all day, then it becomes a habit so mom and dad don't pay too much attention. Um, spending a lot of time. The two favorite places that the uh, kids use, and that's the bathroom and the bedroom, both of which provide a relative secure environment to use drugs. Parents um, don't barge into those rooms too often. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Another characteristic you, you describe is extreme remoteness. Right. What do you mean by that? Um, that's refusing to interact with parents, uh, refusing to interact with family. Um, when family gatherings occur, the kids uh, try to stay away from the family. Uh, they can create disruptions and things like that because they just don't want to be bothered. Also, this remoteness is manifested in disrespect. Um, and disregard for basic expectations within the family. Um, another characteristic is excessive time spent away from home. Mm -hmm. uh, drug use for kids begins as a peer activity sparked by curiosity. Um, so as the kid begins to use drugs more and more, he increasingly stays away from home because that is where he gets validation, confirmation with his uh, druggy peer group. Um, so they're not getting it at home, so the best thing to do is just try to stay away from home as much as possible, and the peers provide acceptance, belonging, and reinforcement of drug use. And that's a good segue into the next um, thing parents should look for, that old friends are being replaced by new Phantom friend. Just as a phantom friend. 
uh, phantom friends are those friends that they acquire after the old friends are gone. The old friends don't want to be bothered with the kid because they're not going to jeopardize their sobriety and they don't want to ruin their reputation as hanging out with druggy kids. So they acquire a new set of friends who validate their drug use. And the thing about the new friends is kid knows well enough not to take their spaced out friends home, so they become phantom friends where you used to know the names of their parents and phone numbers and addresses, but you have no idea who these kids are, where they live, or uh, who they, you know, hang out with. There's no names, no phone numbers, that kind of stuff. So if parents have a... New kids have a new set of friends. It might be worthwhile to find out what happened to the old friends and um, who are these new friends. And maybe uh, contact the old friends to, to get their perspective of what's going on in the friendship as well. Right, yeah, that would be a good way of doing it, uh, which might validate um, some concerns in that area. But basically, if you're looking at your kid and you don't see the old friends around anymore and the new friends are phantom-like friends, you probably have somebody that's begun to use drugs or is actively engaged in drug use. Um, Another thing that parents should watch out for is is the deterioration in physical health and appearance. Right. Um, Dilated pupils, uh, Walking around with those uh, um, eye cleaners where it wipes the red out of the eyelids uh, or eye pupils, uh, skin tone change becomes pal- uh, you know very milky white or with dark skin uh, folk, it be- uh, you get a darker tone and you get blotchiness. Um, increase in health complaints, things like that, because drugs do affect the body. Um, somebody could be experiencing a significant weight loss as well. Um, right. Weight loss um, and drugs go hand in hand. Um, drug use, um, like, for instance, models who uh, have to maintain a thin body, uh, often they're addicted to amphetamines because they decrease appetite. Um, which is a good segue for another characteristic is preoccupation with drugs and the drug culture. Mm-hmm. Um, I live in Baltimore, and on Fridays, everybody wears purple to work because that's the color of the Ravens. But that's showing their allegiance to the Ravens. Um Kids who are involved in the drug world, they'll have posters of druggy groups on the wall. They will walk around with alcohol slogan T-shirts, maybe a marijuana symbol on their hat, things like that, because we all use our clothes to show allegiance to that which we are dedicated to, and the drug kids are no exception. Um, the the eighth characteristic is disciplinary and academic deterioration in school. Mm-hmm. Drugs affect cognition, concentration, motivation, and self-control. Um, you can't maintain academic standards if you're in the cloud or a fog. Um, if you're um, 
hooked up on drugs at the time, you're going to have disciplinary problems in the school because you're not maintaining the boundaries and the parameters that uh, are expected in school. And then academic also suffers because of uh, more truancy, more skipping of classes because getting a drink or a blast or a hit becomes a higher priority than being in school. Um, we will be right back after this commercial to talk more with George Leary about um, when drugs and alcohol might be a problem with your children and what to do about it. And we'll be right back after this commercial. Find out what's happening on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Find out about new shows, featured guests, and what's up this week. Find us on Facebook by searching keyword Voice America. Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge is a nonprofit organization dedicated to supporting the recovery of families and individuals who experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. Westbridge provides integrated dual diagnosis treatment for adult men and women using evidence-based practices. Visit our site today at westbridge.org and discover that doing what works in helping individuals and families gain recovery from dual disorders is important to the staff at Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge utilizes current evidence-based practices, consensus practices, and old-fashioned common sense to provide treatment to individuals and families that experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. That's westbridge.org, family-centered recovery for co-occurring mental illness and substance abuse disorders. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. You're listening to One Hour at a Time with host Mary Woods. If you have a question for Mary or her guest, call now. The listener lines are open. The toll-free number is 1-866-472-5792. That number again is 1-866-472-5792. Now, let's get back to Mary and One Hour at a Time. Welcome back to One Hour at a Time. Our guest today is George Leary, Jr., and we're talking about um, what's wrong with my kid when drugs or alcohol might be a problem and what to do about it. And certainly parents need to get much more um, education around these subtle signs and symptoms of drug use and abuse. Uh, George has written a book, which is the title that we're talking about, and he has suggested that there are 13 different behaviors that parents should be aware of, and in the book, there's an assessment, um, so you can kind of uh, judge for yourself to what degree um, your child may or may not be affected by these behaviors. And in our last segment, we got through the first eight characteristics, and the ninth characteristic would be a dramatic change in the way the phone is used. So um, talk about that, because the phone seems to be a natural extension of most adolescent kids. Yeah, um, there's a couple of things to look for, um, because particularly if you're in a rural area, there's a lot of... um, uh, the phone contact needed to uh, obtain and uh, locate drugs. So uh, drug dealing on the phone is a very brief interaction. It lasts usually less than a minute. So check that cell phone bill and see if there's a number that frequently is being called for less than a minute. Um, sometimes you're 
at home and you hear a conversation and you hear what's called code words, and these are words that make a lot of sense to the kids, but you have absolutely no idea what they are talking about. And when you hear that, be alert. The cold words are constantly changing, so it's not a matter of coming up with a list as matter as much as it is if it if this, this conversation isn't making sense, you may have a problem going on. Um, another uh behavior to watch out for are irregularities regarding money. Uh drugs cause money, so irregularities will be manifested. Uh initially when the drug use first happens and begins uh, bumming money from parents uh, works but as the drug use progresses and more money is needed um, oftentimes the kids will resort to misuse of ATM cards, credit cards, um, stealing, outright stealing from the home. Uh, we all have a tendency to send our teenagers to the bank and say here's the uh, PIN number you know go get me some money uh, so they have easy access to this, and if they're using credit cards, uh, then they can fence or pawn um, whatever they got on the credit card. So if there's irregularities, and parents are noticing irregularities on ATM or credit cards, and I didn't buy this, or I don't remember making this withdrawal, uh, that may be what it is. Um, another characteristic to watch out for is the inability to maintain a job. Yeah, um, if I'm getting high, I'm less concerned about getting to work on time. I'm less concerned about uh, interacting with the customers. Um, I'm more concerned about taking an extended break to get my drugs. I'm more concerned about bartering store goods for so-called free drugs. Um even adult addicts have difficulty holding down a job. The difference between youth and adults is adults have had more on-the-job training or experience, so therefore they are less likely to be detected for a while, whereas the youth don't have that. Um, changes in things that were once of interest? When drugs rule, there's a dramatic change of things we're interested in. The favorite activities have disappeared. Parents need to check out what happened. If the athlete all of a sudden is no longer interested in sports or the kid who's always been involved in school activities declares that stuff's dumb and refuses to be involved in that, there's a reason why this sudden change and could very well be drug use. As a matter of fact, it most likely is. Because you don't see that kind of dramatic change. He's been Without playing football reason. for years, and all of a sudden he doesn't want to be bothered with it anymore. Yeah. And the last thing people should watch out for are memory, speech, energy, and sleep changes. Yeah, addiction is a brain disease. Um, drugs, alcohol impact how the brain operates. Um, drugs affect uh, memory loss. Um, they affect uh, speech problems, changes in energy, sleep patterns, appetite. All of this is basically related to the brain not functioning the way it should be functioning because of the drugs. For instance, memory loss, the hippocampus, which is the memory part of the brain, 
um, oftentimes uh, is no longer functioning. So it's real hard to remember things, to process things. And also, uh, you need to watch for appetite because if your kid is using marijuana, which a lot of kids are, uh, marijuana increases sweet intake. So if the kid is eating a lot more sweets, that may be the reason why. Um, so if, if parents are aware of all of these characteristics, in your book you also talk about some environmental cues or clues that may indicate substance uh, abuse. And some of these things would be very common and people might not even think twice about them. But I think it's worth um, mentioning those environmental indicators that, that you talk about. Mm-hmm. Um, just a couple of them. Um, you've got cigarette papers, those uh White cigarette papers that you can buy in any convenience store if you see them laying around. Um, most likely they're being used to roll marijuana. Uh, if you see clips or tweezers, uh, kids smoke the marijuana joint, uh, which is what the marijuana cigarette is called, down to the very end. So to prevent their fingers from getting burned, they will use tw- uh, clips or tweezers. Um, Marijuana has a tendency to pop. The seeds tend to pop, so oftentimes kids will uh, uh, find a way of screening um, the pipe so that the marijuana doesn't pop all over. Burn clothing, holes in your clothing, furniture, even the car upholstery. Um, if you see plastic bags, aluminum foil vials, or even a small scale, your kid may be using uh, or maybe uh, merchandising drugs. They may be selling them because these are things that they use to package and uh, weigh the um, drugs. Razor blades is another one, the straight-edge razor blades, the old-fashioned ones. Um, they use for creating lines of cocaine, uh, heroin, amphetamine. Um, they're also used to... Uh, divide the drugs out uh, for packaging purposes. Um, Odors, strange odors. Marijuana has a very distinctive odor all to itself. Um, Alcohol has its own odor. Oftentimes that's masked by mouthwash. Uh, Parents who have liquor in the house. Um, Kids will liberate the liquor in the liquor cabinet but they will then water down the liquor, or if they're not that sophisticated, the liquor starts uh, disappearing, and the parent thinks they're drinking more than they are, or something's wrong with the liquor. Um, baby pacifiers and glow sticks, these are used for those who go to rave parties where uh, E is used, or uh, ecstasy is it's called. Um, because it stimulates the sensations. Uh, the uh, baby pacifier is also used to prevent dehydration because of the excessive uh, or, uh, uh, dancing that goes along with this, as well as teeth grinding. So if you have the pacifier in your teeth, you're not going in your mouth, you're not going to grind your teeth. 
And then there's syringes if you find this. And most likely, unless you've got a child who's a diabetic, uh, most likely you do have an IV drug user, and that's a whole new world because now we're looking at possible transmission of hep C or HIV. Um, spoons and bottle caps, that's another one where uh, kids will put drugs onto the spoon or onto the bottle cap, uh, light it with a lighter, usually butane lighter, and, uh, as they say, cook the drugs so that they can be intravenously used. You see blood-stained cotton balls. Um, you know, a lot of times there's cotton balls in the, in the kid's bathroom or in the room because of cosmetic reasons, but if there's blood stained on them or excessive amount, you might want to find out what's going on. And then rubbing alcohol because you want to kids use that to clean the abscesses that uh, occur with intravenous drug use. Any of the latter ones I mentioned, uh, I would act immediately because you need to do something before HIV or Hep C takes over. Um, obviously, everything that you've you've talked about are are things that you could look at and say, oh, well, that's not a big deal. But I think your point is very well taken that um, learning about these uh, AIDS, for lack of better um, description on my part, but these environmental cues, uh, it's really important that parents begin to think that this may be happening. It may not, but it's always good to err on the side of caution. So Right. If, and the same know. thing with the uh, 13 behaviors that we talked about. Uh, the rule of thumb I've got in the book is if one or two are present, it, it may be indicative of something else, such as school problems, health problems, um, just the moodiness that teenagers go through. But if you got more than two of these then you probably have a problem. I think it's also important, you mentioned alcohol in the home, that um, a lot of people that I've intaked over the years, they began drinking alcohol because it was so readily available in the house. And um, parents need to be aware of, if you have it, you should monitor it. Um, because it's easy access for people, as are prescription medications that may be in the um, medicine cabinet. Those are also um, easily uh, obtained, and, um, you know, it doesn't take long to develop a, an addiction to opiates or tranquilizers or stimulants. Mm -hmm. If I may, I just want to piggyback on your comment about prescription drugs. Um I've just got some stats in front of me. U.S. consumes 71% of the world's OxyContin and 99% of Vicodin, which are opium-based narcotics for pain relief. Um, one in four teens abuse prescription drugs before they graduate high school. Um, there's something going on in the middle school, which I just heard about recently and uh, blew my mind. They're called Skittle Parties. 
I, if I'm a middle schooler or a young high schooler, I go to the medicine cabinet, take some of mom's painkiller medicine or medication uh, for tranquilizing purposes, anti-anxiety medication, put them in my pocket, and I go to the party, put them in a candy dish along with medication other kids are brought, and then in the party we just wash down the pills with the medication. Um, kids don't see this as harmful because, after all, prescription drugs are doctor ordered, so the and pharmacy legitimately pharmacy obtained, so therefore got to be safe. And they just don't think of the consequences of drug interaction, particularly with alcohol. Um, and just for parents, uh, just one more thing from the DEA. Uh, number of ER visits attributed to pharmaceutical abuse is up 97% in the four years from 04 to 08. So we have a major problem here. And parents are the main source of prescription drug abuse because how many of us count our OxyContin or our Percocet pills every day? And, you know, if we start running low, we just call the doctor up and they say, well, you, you, you know, you you got to wait another week because the prescription isn't can't be renewed for another week. And you're wondering, I must be taking more than I thought. That kind of stuff going on quite a bit. And we'll be right back uh, to talk more about signs and symptoms and what to do if you think your children uh, may be abusing drugs after this commercial. Now you don't have to stay linked to your desktop or laptop. Take Voice America on the go and listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge is a nonprofit organization dedicated to supporting the recovery of families and individuals who experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. Westbridge provides integrated dual diagnosis treatment for adult men and women using evidence-based practices. Visit our site today at westbridge.org and discover that doing what works in helping individuals and families gain recovery from dual disorders is important to the staff at Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge utilizes current evidence-based practices, consensus practices, and old-fashioned common sense to provide treatment to individuals and families that experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. That's westbridge.org, family-centered recovery for co-occurring mental illness and substance abuse disorders. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. You're listening to One Hour at a Time with host Mary Woods. If you have a question for Mary or her guests, call now. The listener lines are open. The toll-free number is 1-866-472-5792. That number again is 1-866-472-5792. Now, let's get back to Mary and One Hour at a Time. Welcome back to One Hour at a Time. Today we are talking um, with George Leary, Jr. about when drugs and alcohol might be a problem and what to do about it. Um, everything that we've talked about in the last two segments um, are red flags, if you will, for possible drug abuse. They may also be red flags for the 
depression or mental illness or um, maybe your child's being bullied. There's all kinds of um, maybe uh, solutions to what's going on or um, maybe there are different things triggering all these behaviors and what you're seeing. But always, please, please, please always think about maybe my son or daughter is using alcohol or drugs. Uh, adolescence is a time of experimenting with all kinds of things, and certainly alcohol and drugs are a time when a lot of people start experimenting. And it's also a time, as George mentioned earlier, where um, it's, addiction is a disease of the brain, and our brain doesn't mature until we're about 25. So young people who are abusing alcohol and drugs may be doing some neurocognitive uh, damage to their brain, um, and that's something for parents to be aware of, too. Um, George, have you seen uh, much of that in your experience? Uh, yeah, um, dealing with uh, addicts over the years of all ages, um, they don't realize the impact that the drugs have on them. It just feels good. They enjoy it. Um, but... They don't understand it's a brain disease, and that's one of the things that I do with my clients is I educate them on how it impacts the brain, how it allows the reward system within the brain to uh, encourage additional drug use um, because it's the reward system, (laughs) and basically it's looking for satisfying activities. I also explain to them how the frontal lobe where the executive functions such as planning, organizing, emotional control, problem solving is inactive until age 25 and if you're using drugs it impedes the frontal lobe. So with the frontal lobe and, uh, not operating fully and the reward system uh, pushing the uh, person, it's, it's you know, they're, they're out there looking for and seeking out, or as they say in, in uh, streets, uh, chasing and using all day long. And one of the things that I encourage my clients to do is to, knowing that the brain has plasticity, pliability, and manipulability, um, get them to find alternative pleasurable activities to replace the drug activities for their pleasure um, seeking Um, because if they don't they will go back because the reward system's going to kick in and say look I'm not having a good time around here so uh, try to get them to get involved back in sports or engaging in activities they used to do before the drugs took over and that they enjoy doing uh, it's important, as they say in the 12 steps of AA and A, that you got to change people, places, and things, since not using isn't sufficient. And if I may add, one of the things that parents have got to realize is just because my kid is not using drugs doesn't mean it is over. It only means that they're not using drugs, and if they don't encourage the kids to find new rewarding uh, activities, uh, they most likely will go back to using drugs again. I think that um, we know that addiction is a brain disease, and we know that um, a lot of kids abuse drugs, um, and some kids eventually mature out of it. And I think that when you're in the throes of it, though, I think families become very stressed. 
when their their son or daughter is using alcohol and drugs. There's a lot of chaos and a lot of emotion. So could you describe um, for our listeners a little bit about what the family experiences? Yeah, um, one of the things, if I may go this way, one of the things that uh, parents have to do is make some significant behavioral changes in themselves. They've got to stop the enabling, the codependency. One of the hardest things, speaking from personal experience, is to allow the natural and logical consequences of substance abuse to flow unimpeded without rescuing, enabling, or whatnot. Um, I remember a parent telling me that one of the hardest things he ever did was he came home and found his son was throwing a, a party with a lot of alcohol, which was without permission or his consent, uh, fearing that he might be in trouble legally because he is responsible for what's going on in his house. He called the cops. And his son and several other friends got arrested, which was for him the beginning of dealing with what he was in denial about that his son had a uh, substance abuse problem. But you've got to let those consequences go and flow because otherwise... All we do as parents is just make it easier to do it the next time. Um, in case some of our listeners don't understand what codependency is, could you share that with them? Uh, yeah, codependency basically is when you allow somebody to overcome or uh, to control you, their behaviors and whatnot. Um, Codependency is a term that came out of the work of substance abuse. Um, I'll give you an example. Uh, codependent behavior would be a parent who um, argues up and down against the principal of the school because he's accusing uh, her son of something and actually it was a drug-related thing, but the principal doesn't want to say it's drug-related and she's refusing to admit it. Um, there's a book that was written on codependency um, called Codependent No More, and the definition of codependency by the author is anyone who has let another person's behavior affect him or her and who is obsessed with controlling that person's behavior. Uh, in other words, um, there's dysfunction going on in the family, but instead of allowing consequences to be felt in, res in rescuing, what the uh, codependent person does is res excuse me, rescues, becomes obsessed with controlling that person's behavior, enables the behavior. Uh, it's understandable because parents are scared of what's going on. Uh, they feel that if they step back and allow consequences to happen, it may end up in something they don't want to happen. Um, that kind of thing. So rules that apply uh, for everybody else in the family don't apply to that person who's drug using because mom or dad or both are codependent and they're allowing the person to uh, do what they want to do because out of fear. Um, 
codependents are very responsible people, very uh, dependable people, but they can't see the danger of uh, enabling their child to continue to do what they're doing, and they're afraid to step up to the plate and uh, make them hold hold them accountable. And you see this um, in parents who have grown children too. They they will do a second mortgage to rescue a child from financial mistakes they made instead of letting them feel the consequences, which means that the child just continues to uh, make the same mistakes again because there's no lesson been learned. I think it's really hard for families, um, as you said. There's so there's so much fear in the family, but also for a lot of people, um, the the stigma and shame that they feel about having someone in their family that has a drug uh, drug use disorder or alcoholism um, is exciting. We still have kind of a double standard when it comes to. Um, you know, addiction, behavioral health, and other illnesses. These are chronic illnesses. Um, some, if your son or daughter was in the early stages of leukemia, you know, you'd get into treatment and you'd do whatever it took to arrest the, the leukemia so that your son or daughter could live a long life. And, you know, the same thing has to happen with folks with kids who are abusing alcohol and drugs. The sooner they get into treatment, the more involved the family is, the better the outcome. Right. I, do, I see uh, stigma for addicts uh, as a sign of social unacceptability. There's shame and disgrace attached to it. And parents don't want to address it. Uh, they prefer to just sort of sweep it under the rug and hope everything gets better. Um, and one thing I found with uh, uh, kids and adults who are using drugs the stigma keeps them from seeking help and admitting that they need help too. That that, that and also professionally, uh, professionally, you have some people that won't treat addicts um, or won't get into treatment um, because of the stigma. Really, they don't want to admit that they are. Uh, addicts and the shame and the disgrace that is attached to that. Well, you're absolutely right, and I think for also for a lot of individuals and families, that diagnosis follows you for the rest of your life, and it can affect um, whether you get a job or not, where you go to school, um, what, what your career will be, um, where you're able to work. And so, you know, there's a lot writing on somebody getting that diagnosis and being in treatment at an early age. Yes. You know, um, mm-hmm. I, I think that the the other part of this is that as a profession, I'm not sure that we've done a great job in um, really helping families overcome being fear-based. I think sometimes families have shared with me is they, they feel like they're blamed um, is, and we don't see families as being part of the solution. We see we identify them as being the problem, and so um, that just pushes families away. And then, if, while talking about stigma, if in uh, National Alliance of Mentally Ill says over fifty percent of adolescents who are using drugs also have a coexisting mental health disorder, so that's another stigma on top of the stigma of addiction. So parents really have a tough 
uh, battle just countering those addictions must and admitting that their kid is mentally ill and an addict. Uh, so a lot of times treatment just isn't procured or it's procured only after things have really deteriorated. I know. It seems like we need to also do a whole, I don't know, systems change on many levels outside of the individual and the family so that it's easier for people to access treatment. Um, yeah, one of the great things uh, is, you know, working in the community is I would love to see treatment on demand, but there's not enough slots for everybody that needs it. You know, sometimes there's a week or two wait before you can get in the treatment. And quite often, if you don't catch them at that moment, you're not going to catch them two weeks down the road for sure. Um, when we think about a, a young adolescent in treatment, what what type of treatment works best? My opinion, it's a program where there's a strong family component. Um, parents need to be educated on what addiction is. They need to be educated on what enabling codependency are. They need to be encouraged to change their way of operating. And a family group within a treatment program is essential. I know when we were dealing with, excuse me, were dealing with it with our kid uh, as a teenager, one of the major things for me was attending mandatory parent support groups. And through that, I got out of my denial. I got out of my passive-aggressive behaviors because I saw all these other parents working and trying to make the changes necessary so that their kid could get better. And uh, had I not seen that example, I probably would never have made the changes I needed to make. And we'll be right back uh, with our last segment with George after this commercial. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge is a nonprofit organization dedicated to supporting the recovery of families and individuals who experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. Westbridge provides integrated dual diagnosis treatment for adult men and women using evidence-based practices. Visit our site today at westbridge.org and discover that doing what works in helping individuals and families gain recovery from dual disorders is important to the staff at Westbridge Community Services. Westbridge utilizes current evidence-based practices, consensus practices, and old-fashioned common sense to provide treatment to individuals and families that experience co-occurring mental illness and substance use disorders. That's westbridge.org, family-centered recovery for co-occurring mental illness and substance abuse disorders. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. You're listening to One Hour at a Time with host Mary Woods. If you have a question for Mary or her guests, call now. The listener lines are open. The toll-free number is 1-866-472-5792. That number again is 1-866-472-5792. Now, let's get back to Mary and One Hour at a Time.
Welcome back to One Hour at a Time. This is Mary Woods. I'm your host today, and our show is about when drugs or alcohol might be a problem and what to do about it. Um, it's actually the title of a book written by George L. Leary, and the official title is What's Wrong with My Kid? When Drugs or Alcohol Might Be a Problem, What to Do About It? It's published through Hazelden. And, George, where can people go to get a copy of your book? Uh, it's at Barnes & Noble. Uh, I have a website um, with, um, it's called parentingaddicts.com. Uh, it's got a Twitter, Facebook, and blog hookup to it. Uh, you can go on that and um, order it off of the uh, that site, or if you really want an autographed copy, you go there and uh, fill out what is required, and we'll send you an autographed copy. But um, basically, it's parentingaddicts.com, and uh, that's where you can get the book. I think um, it, it would be really good to share with um, families and people listening. Um, you suggested uh, 10 different things that people should consider in an action plan that families should consider, and I think some of these are really important. Um, the first thing is for families to ascertain your available resources, and oftentimes I think families uh, start with, I need treatment, but then they get frustrated because they find out they either don't have the insurance coverage or Medicare or Medicaid doesn't pay for it. So um, I bet your first um, step in your plan of action, George. Right. Um, it, I, you know, I recommend that you not only see what your insurance provider offers, but I would contact your local government agency. Um, most Communities have community mental health centers where they offer mental health services as well as substance abuse services at a much discounted rate. Um, but you've got to get on the phone. You've got to um, make those calls, ask the right questions. Another thing that I strongly recommend to parents who are wondering or getting ready to try to deal with this is check out an Al-Anon or Naranon meeting in your area because these are parents who have been around, been there, done that, and uh, they should be able to give you some good insights and leads. I think uh, Al-Anon is a great, great, great resource in um, Naranon as well. And you can find those either on the web or in the phone book. Um, the, the second thing you suggest is develop an early strategic plan of action. And I think it's important for families to understand that uh, treatment for addiction, this is a chronic behavior, and you have to plan that you might be going to treatment a couple times before, um, you know, people maintain sustained recovery. So when you're planning your resources, you should think about that as well as your plan of action. Yeah, um, since most adolescents are not on the, as they call heavy-duty drugs like heroin, crack, very few are. Most of them are on alcohol, marijuana, prescription drugs, um, inhalants. Uh, 
it's best to start with community outpatient programs. It does a couple of things. First off, it sends a strong message to the kid that, hey, wait a minute, mom and dad are not going to tolerate this anymore. Look, i got to go to this program. And then it also saves a lot of money. It saves a lot of resources that you may need down the road. Uh, do are how effective are these, are these programs for some kids? That's all they need. For other kids, it's going to take a lot more. Most kids will relapse a couple of times, and parents need to realize this. Just because you got your kid into a community-based program does not mean they're going to stay clean, and most likely they won't. Um, the only exception to that would be if your kid, you know the kid is on heroin, crack, crystal meth, methamphetamine, things like that, um, uh, I would try the uh, community-based programs first. I would utilize NA and AA meetings, have the kid go there. Um, one of the things about um, NA and AA is while the kid may not be internally motivated, it does offer modeling support. Uh, and people that can motivate him. Um, parents need to acknowledge the fact that the kid needs to be going on a regular daily basis, um, things like that. Um, try the, the less expensive uh, community-based programs first. If that don't work, then we begin going with the inpatient programs. That's my thoughts. It's always and see, good to have a plan B. We start with the inpatient program first, and the kid is not that seriously addicted in the sense that they're not using drugs that need inpatient to detox, like heroin, for instance. Um, there's a message that goes out to these kids. Mom and dad are not playing with me. I need to get my stuff together. And uh, often that works. But parents need to be educated, too, which means if you got your kid in your program, in a community-based program, you need to be an Al-Anon, an or or see if there's a program in the community that has a parent component to it because all of us have to move forward together. Uh, just to send your kid to a treatment program and you not making the necessary changes uh, is not going to work. I think one of the most important um, steps in your plan that I don't think enough uh, people talk about is the fact that a, a gradual um, intervention is the best, that there's not a magic bullet for this and that you can't expect to um, swoop in take your child to treatment, and then they'll be good in 30 days or 60 days. And I think that that's so important for families to understand. Yeah, and we want we are a society of instant gratification, and we want it, like, right away. With addiction treatment, right away it doesn't happen. It's a long process. Um, and for those who become addicted to drugs and alcohol, it's a lifelong process. Uh, addiction is progressive, and the recovery strategy most likely will need to be progressive as well. You start on the lower level with community outpatient programs, and if that doesn't work and the drug use increases, then we have to go to inpatient and so forth. But don't expect the first treatment program to be the panacea for most kids, but it will for some. You're more sending a message. Yeah. Right. 
Right, right. And I think that empowering kids to take um, control of their lives is really, really important. And, um, you know, people gradually get into this behavior, and I think they gradually get out of it. I, uh, you've, you've got a lot of great suggestions in your book, and I think that families that are concerned or families that want to learn more, this is a great resource. Is there one last thing that you think it's really important for families to know? Uh, yeah, it basically is. The kid's not going to get better until you get better. That means that we've got to stop the enabling, the codependency. We've got to be able to find the strength somehow to step back and allow consequences to happen because they are the best learning experiences going. And as a parent of an addict, I can tell you right now, that is probably the hardest thing to do, to watch a kid deteriorating, and then suffering the consequences of it when you know perfectly well you could go out there and rescue, but that's not going to do him a bit of good. Thank you so much, George, for spending this hour with us. And once again, what's wrong with my kid when drugs or alcohol might be a problem, what to do about it? And the author is George Leary. Thank you, George, and have a great week, everyone. Uh, Thank you, Mary. We appreciate you joining us today for One Hour at a Time. Successful recovery from a substance abuse problem or mental illness depends on education and support of loved ones. Thank you for being that support system. Be sure to tune in next week for another hour of education and compassion. One hour at a time. We'll see you next week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program. Brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.